Welcome to the Energy Intelligence Podcast. This is the latest episode in our series focused on competitive intelligence in the energy sector. Thanks for joining us. My name is Luke Johnson. I'm the deputy editor of the Energy Intelligence Finance Newsletter. On today's podcast, we'll be talking about our current outlook for U.S. shale production and what that means for the companies involved. To discuss this, we've got Abhi Rajendran, the director of our research and advisory unit. Thanks for being here, Abhi. Hi, Luke. Thanks for having me. We've also got Casey Merriman, the head of our forthcoming competitive intelligence service. Hey, Casey. Hey, Luke. So, like I said, today we will be talking about U.S. shale and what could be in store for the sector over the next several quarters uh, after a pretty severe contraction in the first half of the year for reasons we're all familiar with by now. U.S. shale production is back on the upswing. Uh, The rig count and frack spread count both seem to have bottomed out and are slowly edging up and production is starting to come back as well. Um, Abby, let's start with you and just kind of lay out exactly how we expect the next year or two to play out in terms of shale production. How much has come back to the market at this point? How much more should we expect to come back and, and how much might be lost for the foreseeable future? Sure, yeah. I mean, certainly the the last couple of months, um, have seen a, a you know quite a big shakeup in the in the shale market. Um, you know, shale had driven overall U.S. supply uh, to just under 13 million barrels a day. You know, late last year, early this year, um, given the kind of the the, the rapid shut-ins that uh, the producers had to had to take um, because of the um, you know the, the, the demand collapse, um, that that dropped to you know the the mid to high nines. Uh, million barrels a day level in in, in sort of you know mid May, um, you know the the month of May averaged exactly uh, ten million barrels a day, um, and we've seen we you know we've certainly seen look as you referenced we've seen some of that come back, um, you know certainly rigs have com- continued to uh, to slide but but we have seen uh, like you noted um, you know the the frack crew uh, really almost double off the off the bottom. Uh, you know, for some period of time, we only had about you know 45 or so frac crews running. Uh, now we're back up to the 80, 90 uh, level. Um, you know, rig counts have continued to come down, but 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 some of that shut-in production um, has been brought back, right? So so today, um, sort of excluding uh, some of the the hurricane-related impact, uh, you know, we have uh, production back up to about 11 and a half million barrels a day. Um, and and that's where we think you know you you know you sort of seen this 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 recent. Uh, um, upswing uh, sort of peak at so we think this is sort of where the where the ceiling is you know maybe you kind of get up to 11.6 11.7 million barrels a day um, but we think that's that that's sort of the 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 cap here um, you know looking ahead you know we actually think that production levels uh, are going to you know plateau here um, if not actually slightly decline um, into year end and into early next year so we think you know, you're actually going to be, you know, sort of sub 11 and a half million barrels a day, um, you know, as, 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 as shale sort of takes a pause, um, even, you know, even if the price outlook uh, sort of improves a little bit uh, into year end. I think, I think what's important to, to keep in mind is, you know, the, the price environment is still, you know, kind of in the low 40s, right, for, for WTI um, and, and in the mid 40s for, for Brent. This is not really an environment that, that's sort of conducive to um, any sort of an upswing in uh, or a meaningful upswing in in in, in rig counts. Um, you know, even if a couple of frack crews get brought back, it's not going to get brought back 
um, you know, in, in any meaningful amount. And so, you know, we, we think, you know, really what, what you're going to have to see is that the price environment has to sort of get back to this $50 threshold, um, if not higher, uh, for there to be a move, uh, you, know, you know, ahead in, 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 in the shale patch. Um, and, and that's kind of what we're, what we're looking for first, Luke. Um, as kind of a signal before the activity levels follow. Um, our base case is that that, that is going to happen. Um, if you have kind of a, an ongoing steady recovery in demand, um, and if you have kind of ongoing OPEC restraint, that you can kind of get back to 50. Uh, but that's probably pushed out more to early next year. Okay, yeah. And we'll get into some of those issues a little bit later. But just to summarize, so, th- so basically the cap is going to, or the cap on the production increase is going to be price driven. Yeah, that's right. And, and- to be you know the, in this mid 11 sort of number for um, for really the the foreseeable future um, mm-hmm. and we think it's going to be sort of be the second half of next year when when you can start to think about activity levels starting to improve uh, such that we you know we start to make a move back up closer to 12 million barrels a day um, overall which you know which which means that you know you do see an uptick in shale as well okay um, so, Casey, from a corporate perspective, which companies are bringing production back the fastest and why? I mean, is it the independents just kind of given their ability to move more quickly in general? Or is it the majors who who are driving this recent increase in production? Yeah. So I think there's a couple really important kind of ways that we need to slice this. So uh, as Abi mentioned, uh, you know, with prices completely collapsing earlier this year, we saw a significant amount of volumes that were curtailed. So either throttled back or actually shut in. And that has really driven the roughly, you know, million and a half barrels that we've seen kind of come back. Um, and that is a mix of majors and independents, right? So those curtailments were meant to be short-lived. Uh, they were; It was meant to simply kind of wait out to a, a point where, where the market was not seeing, you know, at at one point negative pricing, but otherwise, you know, single digit low teen pricing that really is not economic for anything. So that, that production certainly makes sense to have back in the mix at the kind of low 40s pricing that we've had. But what you're seeing is um, no one is moving fast outside of that, right? So that's why we have continued to see the rig account deteriorate. Uh, there's, it looks like it might be stabilizing. It, it did rise just a bit last uh, week. We'll see what the latest numbers show uh, with the, the frat crews doubling. We are, we are seeing some, some getting back to work, but by and large, what companies of kind of all shapes and sizes are trying to do is move toward a new normal of maintenance production. And what I mean by that is the complete lack of new drilling and completion activity uh, over the past five months means that underlying production rates in shale, which is high decline, has really pulled back, right? And so what companies are trying to do is manage their portfolios so that kind of going into next year, the amount of money that they will need to spend to hold this kind of new lower base flat is a lot less, right? So we've heard a lot of the independents talk about these kind of new break-even prices of you know, $30, $35 WTI, it's really important to understand that what they mean by that is 
the price with which they can hold their production stable. Um, if they were to really kick into growth mode, those break-evens would move higher, uh, even with some of the incremental cost savings that we've seen. And so that's really why uh, kind of the outlook at this price level is more about a plateau of production rather than companies really getting back to work. Um, I mean, you have seen uh, from the likes of Exxon, Chevron, uh, them continuing to pull their rig counts down severely, uh, completely sidelining their multi-year growth plans. Uh, you know, Chevron has said even at current prices that going into next year, their production would fall. Um, you know, Exxon's trying to talk about more of getting into a stabilized price, but we really aren't talking about growth here. We're talking about managing the, the continuation of declines. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, let's, I guess as good a time as any just to drill down a little more on on the pricing. Uh, I mean, this is obviously going to be kind of the biggest driver in activity in any scenario. So we have been kind of stuck right here at this, you know, between 40 to $45 range for uh, some time now. And it's, you know, sounds like this was a good enough price to bring at least some of the production back. But I, I don't think anyone thinks that it's a sustainable price if we expect to see substantial growth. So what, you know, I, I guess $50 is kind of the kind of the bare minimum that's thrown out there. But how, how realistic are these, you know, I, I mean, what's the line between a desired price or, you know, price per barrel and a price that actually makes economic sense to bring activity back, Abby? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. And, you know, and, and I think, you know, just given the you know the the extent of the 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 demand dislocation that we saw you know over the last uh, you know uh, certainly earlier this year um, and and we continue to see demand you know quite dislocated uh, even today um, you know I think this is still sort of a, a demand driven environment right and um, and and by demand I, I also sort of include um, you know what what demand has done to inventories and to stocks. Um, you know, which have obviously bloated not just for oil, but but for um, you know for downstream uh, derivatives and refined products as well. And so, you know, you're kind of stuck. And part of the reason you're stuck in this in this price range is that you have this big amount of excess that you have to work off. And we think that work off is going to take um, you know quite a bit of time. Uh, certainly, you know, pretty deep into into 2021. Uh, you know, to to happen. Um, now, at the same time, you you know, you raise a good point, which is that you know, while you know, demand is sort of sluggish, and we'll we'll get to sort of our demand outlook in a in a bit. But while that is sluggish, and you know, slowly trying to recover, and and you're working down inventories, um, you know, you're also at a point that's 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 really difficult for the supply side, right? And you know, and then part of our view, uh, you know, for why we think you're going to get from forty to forty five. You know, back up to fifty, and and potentially, you know, meaningfully beyond fifty, is is the challenge for for producers um, and 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 the economics of of getting back into growth mode. Um, you know, really sort of needing much higher prices to happen first, um, and which is what which is what Casey pointed to earlier. You know, it's sort of one thing, just kind of you know staying flat and 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 maintaining you know depressed levels versus you know getting back into growth. And, and, and being able to reinvest uh, capital for growth, um, you know, that, that really needs sort of a, a step change higher in prices. So, so really demand um, and, and inventories are going to have to normalize to some degree first. 
Um, in the meantime, you're going to have this continued supply restraint, um, you know, of which, you know, the, the, the shale patch is going to be a key part of um, and kind of keeping production, you know, you know more in the mid-11s for U.S. supply um, is certainly going to help, uh, you know, with that inventory work off. Uh, but also you need that ongoing restraint from, from OPEC as well um, to keep pushing that, 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 that price level uh, much higher. Um, you know, and, and, and really in our view, uh, you know, this, this IPE cycle, you're really going to need to see the, the commodity move first um, and then the producers respond um, as opposed to prior cycles, right, where you had producers sort of, you know, you know, ramping back up growth capex in anticipation of prices moving higher. This time you really need to see that price materialize first. Um, so that's kind of what we're looking for, Luke. Okay. Um, Casey, you mentioned the new normal uh, a while ago. And, you know, one thing that has remained pretty consistent throughout all the tor- turmoil, even pre-pandemic, is this focus on upstream capital discipline. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of started out as a way to appease investors. But now I think there is a realization that this is just the way that you got to do business now for most companies, uh, you know, from the small independence to the super majors. Mm-hmm. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. And it it ties in exactly to Abby's last point, right? So I think what we have to understand is that uh, the industry, like if you look at kind of maybe kind of from a corporate level, enterprise level, it does not work at the prices we have seen, right? um, You are talking about an industry that has had to firmly just embrace survival mode and and survival has not been the outcome for everyone right we i mean it seems like you know every couple of days we get a new bankruptcy announcement right i mean these are very severe realities that producers are facing and so what you are seeing is um, there has been uh, some ability for the industry to access capital markets there's just you know the us fed is just printing money out there. Um, and so the, the, the window for capital markets uh, has shown to be open to U.S. ENPs, um, but that money is not being grabbed to fund growth. It is being grabbed to refinance. It's being grabbed to push off looming maturities, you know, with obviously the, the hope that something coming due in 2023 might come due in a, a, a more robust price environment than now. So it's it's really about kind of protecting that balance sheet as best as possible. And I think what has really been stark out of a lot of the commentary that we have heard from most ENPs is maybe in the past, even if kind of capital discipline was was the call they would they would want to put out there oh well you know at you know $45 you know this is when we can do xyz and and with growth and and we can do it affordably and still have free cash flow and this that and the other and rather than kind of tipping investors to hey we can get back to our previous plans at you know x price it's we will produce more when the market signals that it actually needs more supply. And that's not the case now. Again, to Abby's point, I mean, there's just such an enormous overhang of stocks that will need to be worked down for kind of this, the day-to-day supply demand fundamentals to, to drive things. And so um, 
you know, the, the, the capital discipline push um, is now a requirement uh, that companies just cannot escape because they, they kind of don't have any other options. And that, and that carries up to the majors, right? Um, I mean, Exxon being case in point that you had a, one of the largest, you know, oil companies in the world uh, have to completely reverse its wider growth plans, which a large part of was shale kind of to protect, protect its balance sheet and preserve its dividends. So this has um, been firmly fixed into, into the way that the industry is working. Hmm. Okay, well, let's talk about demand a little bit specifically here. Uh, estimates are kind of all over the place as to what the demand picture will look like. And if 2020 has taught us anything, it's that these types of predictions are about as good as the next news cycle. Uh, but Abi, where do we land in terms of the demand outlook at this point? And uh, what are some of the things that could move that outlook up or down? Sure, yeah. You know, and I touched on it earlier, you know, we, you know, we are still in a, you know, pretty sort of uh, depressed uh, demand pictures, although certainly not as dire as it was, um, you know, kind of the during the, the peak lockdown months. But, you know, compared to a sort of a normalized level of, you know, over 100 million barrels a day uh, of, of demand pre-COVID, actually in the fourth quarter of last year, we were, we averaged close to 102 million barrels a day. Um, in this quarter, you know, our, our latest analysis points to just, you know, a little over 91 million barrels a day of, of demand, right? So, so you still have demand off quite a bit um, from, from pre-COVID levels. Um, in our view, looking ahead over the, you know, the rest of the year and, and over the course of next year, you know, we see this sort of slow and steady return, um, you know, back trying to get close to normalization. But, you know, we think we still are going to be in, the, in a low 90, um, you know, million barrel a day type environment through the end of this year. Um, that sort of gradually improves closer to 95 million barrels a day and kind of early next year. Um, but even by the, you know, even by late 2021, um, you know, we think you're still only in kind of the, the high 90s uh, million barrel a day sort of threshold. So you haven't quite recouped uh, that 100 million barrel a day number uh, or sort of exceeded that. We think that, you know, that, 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 you know, recovery all the way back to pre-COVID levels is going to be pushed out sort of well into, you know, 2022, potentially 2023, um, you know, because it's going to take. Uh, much longer for certain markets like, uh, you know, like jet fuel. So basically the, the airline market um, to get anywhere close to, um, you know, to, to full recovery if they ever do. Right. And so, uh, so we think this is going to be kind of a, a gradual um, uh, recovery that, that, that takes a little bit of time. Um, as of now, we're not of the view that, you know, that, that oil demand is peaked forever um, kind of at pre COVID levels. Uh, we do think that there is an opportunity for demand to kind of get back to that peak, if not make a, a higher level. But we think that's going to be kind of pushed more to the, the mid 2020s. Um, and, and we're going to sort of see uh, how the recovery goes over the next kind of six to 18 months. Right. Because that's going to be uh, critical to uh, to to shaping that path in the mid 2020s. But uh, that's kind of how we're thinking about demand, Luke. Uh, we think it's going to be, you know, a, a slog back, uh, you know, to that normalized level. Um, and then certainly for, you know, for, for producers and for suppliers, uh, you know, we think this is going to be, you know, what they have to, to assume 
um, you know, over the over the near term here. Um, and and this this is why it's going to be a grind back higher for prices as well, um, and why they have to sort of be more cautious and um, and be more restrained um, in how they go about doing their business, as opposed to kind of anticipating or hoping for uh, for higher prices and, and a quicker demand recovery. Hmm. Casey, just to wrap up here, one thing we haven't really touched on that is kind of the elephant in the room is the status of this OPEC plus agreement that Mm -hmm. has held remarkably firm uh, with something like 96% compliance after the recent check-in earlier in August. Um, You know, we here in the U.S. like to tout our energy independence, but you know, how, how large does OPEC really loom in the U.S. shale sector? Could, could OPEC be the ultimate spoilers if, if something were to go wrong with with the current alliance? Yeah, I think that it cannot be overstated how how significant, how important that OPEC plus agreement and the high rate of compliance has been to allowing the market to recover to the point that it is at, right? Uh, market-led uh, curtailments, as we saw in the U.S., you know, price-driven shut-ins and that sort also played a significant role to allow things to bounce off of, you know, their single digit levels and such. But the continuation of the OPEC plus deal is essential to reaching essentially what Avi had laid out, right? If we're talking about a market that is being, that is able to clear the overhang, you know, over the course of the next year, uh, it requires kind of lights out compliance. And, and obviously demand plays a critical role in that too. But it's just to say that that group is kind of providing a glue that is allowing the market to be as stable as it is for producers, despite it being extremely challenging. And if there are things that begin to chip away at that, and you really were to start seeing uh, severe erosion in in compliance and and start to see a lot of leakage in that space, um, you know, barring demand just completely exceeding expectations, it would put severe pressure on the price and only kind of further the challenges that the U.S. sector is facing for sure. So um, it's absolutely a space to watch. And it's a reminder that as much as we may like to tout energy independence and certainly uh, what has happened in the U.S. uh, in oil patch is um, incredible frankly, uh, in terms of what we've seen the past several years, it, it is not isolated. You know, it is part of a global market. Um, if nothing else, you know, the U.S. Uh, exports crude, but it also still imports uh, net about 3.8 million barrels a day, right? We are, we are part of a global kind of ecosystem here. So it's definitely a space to watch. Okay. Well, I think we need to leave it there for now. So uh, thanks a lot, Casey. Absolutely. Thanks, Luke. And thank you, Abby. Thanks, Luke. And thanks to everyone for listening. You can read all of our news and views and subscribe to any of our services at energyintel.com. Lots of good stuff there, so please go check it out. My name is Luke Johnson, and we'll see you next time.